Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It has been more than a year since the pandemic struck and created unprecedented global mayhem. We hope you are continuing to keep safe during this extraordinary times. We are going through an unprecedented time of change. The pandemic has utterly brought home the point that the future is digital. In the past few months, we have witnessed an acceleration in the digitalization of businesses, products, processes, and experiences. With it came the unintended, but not to be unexpected, escalation in cyber threats, attacks, and fraud. The increasingly widespread adoption of emerging technologies like AI, big data analytics, and edge computing will enter a new dimension with the introduction of 5G telecommunication in the new future. And so will the migration to the cloud, open banking, and ecosystem. And the maturation of blockchain technology will make central bank digital currency, electronic payment, a reality. What will be the future of commerce, banking, and finance in an era of central bank digital currencies, hyper-connectivities, personalization, and heightened cyber attack and threat? We look forward to discussing all this with you in our innovation leadership dialogue. How will you innovate to stay ahead of these trends? We hope that you will help us make sense of the long-term impact and significance of these transformational issues and how they help to clarify your own business focus and strategic priorities. So um, I'm happy to introduce uh, the chairman of the Asian Banker, Mr. Emmanuel Daniel, who is uh, currently in Beijing, to say a few words. Thank you, Bunpeng. Uh, greetings from Beijing. And I've been here uh, since October last year. And uh, I must say, uh, that uh, to be in one of the major cities of the world where the future of how uh, our economies are being shaped uh, is taking place is actually an exhilarating experience. Um, as all of you know, uh, we have at, at the very highest of our award program, uh, we give away uh, the leadership awards um, in sequence once every three years. So our CEO leadership awards are given once every three years, uh, where of CEOs um, over a period of time. So we assess leaders uh, over a three-year period, uh, and then in the year in the years uh, in between, uh, one year we uh, assess the uh, promising young bankers, uh, people with potential to become CEOs uh, who are below the age of 40. Uh, and very interestingly, we've now uh, ran this program for many years uh, and uh, we've been able to track uh, the promising uh, young individuals um, over their career. So when they become 50 and they become uh, older, um, we see how many of them actually become CEOs. Uh, so that's been a very um, gratifying program to be able to track careers over time. And then that leaves us with one more uh, program to run. And what we've decided to do over time uh, is to look at innovation as a theme. So this is not about um, leadership in terms of um, you know, how well you are looking after your respective business, uh, business as usual, but leaders who are able to take on uh, brave decisions shaping the future of their respective financial institutions, investing in technologies, a lot of it, uh, but also innovations in different things like products and so on, uh, and also reshaping the institution for the future. So the innovation element uh, uh, is not rested on how you perform uh, in your respective institutions every year. It's got to do with, um, you know, what are you building uh, in, in terms of uh, how you will look like in three years, in six years, and so on. And we've been building our franchise into Africa a lot, uh, the Middle East and, and other emerging markets. So we're not Asian. And the word banker uh, is no longer about bankers alone. It's about uh, the, the new players, the challenger institutions uh, and, and the fintechs, uh, for want of a better word, uh, who are challenging uh, traditional financial institutions. In fact, we've also started taking a view on cryptocurrencies, uh, blockchain technologies, 
uh, and the innovations taking place there, which are potentially going to disintermediate uh, traditional financial institutions uh, as we know them to be. So very happy to join all of you uh, from here in Beijing. We shall start our uh, leadership dialogue. Uh, the first question is, uh, in terms of looking at uh, the challenges of managing innovation in your organization, how are you creating uh, that environment, that culture of, and I would like to hear from Mr. Victor Lee, um, in terms of looking at uh, the, the transformation technology that, you know, that his company does with, uh, with the industry, providing connectivity to SMEs, uh, looking at credit uh, uh, management, looking at uh, improving processes and so on and so forth. How do you create that uh, innovation culture and environment within your organization? If we may get uh, Mr. Lee to it's really my honor to be here this afternoon to exchange ideas uh, with um, all the uh, outstanding peers in the industry. And so I think we have to be innovative in supporting uh, innovation. And we do all kinds of things from the, the normal project, right? We encourage people to uh, contribute ideas and, and we try to create mini projects. And, how do we uh, um, incentivize people to do um, innovation? And more specifically, I would like to probably um, talk about uh, two programs we're running. The first one is actually, uh, uh, we, we call that an incubator. So the people in the organization, whether that's directly relevant to what we're doing today, or that's like a indirectly relevant or irrelevant, as long as they believe that is a good idea and create value either to the customer or to the system, so we actually can invest a mini project in the company uh, to making sure we provide the facility, the resources uh, and for them to do a mini POC uh, before we do further assessment um, or making bigger decisions from there. So that is actually one program, like a hackathon, right? So we're on competition. If you have a new idea, feel free to talk to your manager, talk to the company. We are a very flat organization and feel free to talk to myself and we encourage people to basically raise new idea and we will invest. The second program is actually similar to the process I just described, but actually further, we can we also encourage people to, to have the kind of uh, entrepreneurship to start your own business with a company. So if uh, the, the idea is, is commonly supported by the committee, we actually can create a joint venture. So basically it's like, it's like you start your own business, you become a partner of the company. So these are the things we do normally to, to support, making sure um, what we do is not just to deliver a system, to deliver a solution, to create value, right? We actually need to be disruptive. We need to get ideas. Ideas are important to innovation, right? So people, people with different backgrounds and different age, whether they are experienced or inexperienced, sometimes people without experience of the industry can have better ideas because they don't uh, confine their ideas in an existing system. So with that in mind, we, we, we strongly like, we provide all these incentives and create the programs to making sure everybody feel innovation is important and they have um, there's always opportunity for them to, to participate in the innovations in the company. We'll move to our next uh, significant player in e-commerce and big tech in Indonesia, right? Uh, Mr. Uh, William uh, uh, yeah, uh, if you, you may uh, also share your experience with uh, innovation in uh, such an exciting market in Indonesia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> so running and founding a technology company, uh, you need to be innovative. And the, the things that separate a great technology company with the one that not, the good technology company need to continuously evolve. This year, you need to be much better and much differentiated compared to two years or three years ago. And that innovation comes from the people. So it's from the starting of the, our company 12 years ago, we constantly invest on the people. And uh, to invest on the people, we build the right culture. Our culture is, uh, consists of three DNA or three values. The first one is a culture of serving, which is a focus on customers. We need to be problem solver. Our product, if like not solving any problem, will not be relevant to the customers, especially in the past uh, 16 months during these unprecedented times. 
how we need to uh, change product and services to fit and serve the, 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 the needs of the customers. The second DNA is a, a culture of continuously learning, the growth mindset. Technology changes very fast. Business model changes very fast. So um, often time you need to unlearn to be able to learn something. The ability to see the glass half full is a very important. So um, this is where the growth mindset is a key. And the third one is a culture of innovation, which is we call it make it happen, made better. There's a no perfect solutions from day one in a technology sector, then you need to continuously reiterate. And then in the past 16 months, uh, Indonesia have faced a very, very challenging time. We are archipelago country where 60% of our GDP is come from small businesses. So there's a big dilemma between head crisis or economic crisis. But we also see during this time, the digital adoption and transformation is at all time high. And for those uh, businesses that adopt technology faster enough, then they, they, they can actually have both. There's no, there's no deal dilemma between economy and health anymore. They can continuously run and operate their businesses and the customers can continuously enjoy the services uh, uh, without sacrificing health at all. So I really believe that in this uh, challenging time, we actually be reminded again that the necessity is actually the mother of invention. It's very interesting to hear, um, William, necessity is the mother of, invent, uh, of, uh, of innovation and, uh, and that you need to um, you know, keep faith with your customers or to the people you're serving. Uh, the service element that was very, very good. My co-director, uh, the audience, uh, probably has a few um, wise words to start us off uh, in terms of uh, uh, what you see to be uh, innovation, uh, leadership in innovation today. So we just want to go around uh, once uh, to get a sense of, uh, you know, what innovation and leadership has meant uh, in your career. So, Gordian, um, how would you lead us off on this uh, dialogue? Well, thank you very much, Edi, uh, <clears throat> and, and welcome, everybody. Um, I, I think it's interesting just by, by hearing the first uh, uh, contributions that um, the problem lies in the fact that leadership and innovation are contradictory. They are uh, actually at opposing ends. By definition, leadership requires a group of people and a group of followers that are inspired by a purpose and by a vision. And this requires courage and fortitude and administration. Innovation, on the other hand, always comes from a minority, from a small group of people, always people who actually don't follow the traditional pattern. And by definition, they cannot be led. They can only be encouraged. So the problem that we have, and it was interesting that both of you so far have addressed that in your own ways is that innovation can't be organized in the sense that it can't be mandated and it cannot be managed in the same way than an organization. And I think if we look at the uh, pandemic, because it's so topical, you can see that none of the countries, none of the economies, none of the multinationals actually managed the leadership well and most of the or, and all of the innovation happened in organizations the vaccines the dna sequencing all of that happened in laboratories with scientists and in smaller organizations and uh, also that didn't go that well and at the intersection we found exactly the dilemma we find when we have innovation leadership and that is i think something that we need to think about. And uh, because E.D. mentioned technology, technology is the best enabling condition that we can find. It is a necessary condition. But like with many other things, we have to use it in the right way. So when we have AI, AI will never substitute for innovation. When we have big data, it will never substitute the ingenuity of people. And 
if we have uh, processes or cyber currencies, it will never substitute for the regulator that actually has to make sure that the macroeconomic system works. So I think that uh, the challenge and the tension between innovation and leadership is uh, one of the most important aspects. And uh, uh, the first colleague mentioned that they are willing to invest in ideas of employees. That clearly demonstrates that these are different entities. Uh, I think that the very best leaders are not necessarily the very best at innovation. And the very best innovators are certainly not the best leaders. The challenge is to put the two together so that actually progress is made. This is just to set the scene that this is a very difficult uh, subject and requires a lot of thought and ideas. And I think this dialogue is going to bring about, it already has some of the best ideas. Well, you know, Godin, as you were speaking, the person I had in mind, foremost in my mind, was Kun Bantun Lamsam. Um, you know, Kun Bantun uh, was uh, the lead we met uh, almost at the start of the Asian banker in 1906. Um, and in that period, uh, he was seen to be a leader already uh, and a disruptor in the financial services industry in Thailand. And uh, over time, uh, you know, even within the Thai community, um, he was seen to be a... Uh, uh, someone who rocks the boat, you know, someone who doesn't accept the status quo, someone who is troublesome to have around because he's always, um, you know, pushing on new ideas. Uh, we will be celebrating his lifetime achievement. And I've personally had the privilege of having observed how he uh, was a leader in his own right, uh, a maverick. Uh, and as uh, Gordon tried to uh, propose, uh, where does this leadership and you know, an individual or does it exist in an institution? Uh, he was an institution in himself. Uh, and then um, he created an institution around himself. And so Kun Lam Bantun has not just been an innovator and a disruptor in his own right. He's actually created a culture of disruption um, and uh, breed, as it were, uh, who's been building on what he's been doing. And today he sort of uh, sits uh, as, a, uh, as a sage on top of the hill, you know, like, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the quiet one uh, up there. So I just would like to have a few words from Kun Bantun. Uh, what leadership meant to you uh, uh, in your career? And um, where do you think you are right now? I have retired from bank after 40 years. 1997 financial crisis was a wake-up call. Before that, banks were uh, enjoying the periods of entitlements that uh, uh, let people feel that uh, things can be done in any way without looking at the, the other angles of the, of the matter. So when the financial industry in Asia collapsed in 1997, uh, uh, we had to grow up fast. Um, and, and that was real. Uh, my, 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 my first step in rethinking the way we go about uh, getting organization to, to work. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it turned out to be a, a good experience. I hope I get to do it only once in my life. And I think that's going to be true now because I'm out. But at the time, the, we had the first uh, to make sure that we uh, stop the bleeding. Uh, in terms of the uh, uh, loan losses, uh, we we barely made th made, made through that made it through that, and to get the people to organize themselves around the effort of stabilizing the organization and also working with the state to stabilize the stabilize the financial system, which I had to do in the capacity of also the chairman of the Thai Bank Association at the time, and then we had to handle the the task of uh, recapitalization, which we did. Uh, we haven't had to do that before, uh, but we had, to get, we had to go to international markets, which Kasegon Bank uh, led the way in 1998, uh, along with Bangkok Bank. Uh, 
it, it was a very, very close call. Uh, people were very skeptical of how Asia would uh, come around. Uh, and luckily we were able to raise the, uh, what today would be a small amount of money, but together the two banks raised two billions of capital at that time from international markets. And that's actually was a bulk of the, of the, the funding that uh, saved the Thai banking system. Of course, we had to work through uh, several years of uh, 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 lo loans uh, management, uh, bad debt management, which we did. So all, overall, the, it, it took about three, four years for Asia to come around. Uh, luckily, we survived. And then I uh, had to rethink uh, what, what's new. Uh, I think the old uh, risk management regime has to be done away with. And people have to come in with a new uh, mindset of how to manage risk. And, and of course, the last two decades has been uh, uh, back to growth, but a growth with, uh, with, uh, with, with uh, caution. Uh, growth in the loans, growth in the expanding geographically uh, around as Asia, uh, uh, led the way. And now we run into a different kind of challenge as I was leaving uh, the organization is the disruption of the, a new kind, not just bad loans, but uh, other ways of going around, going about doing the financial service business. Uh, but uh, the, 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 the key is that to get the people to rally along, around what is important at that particular time. First, saving the life of the company, saving the life of the system, and then uh, making sure that we are on a, a more solid uh, way of uh, managing uh, the, the new strategy. Well, hearing from you, Kun Bantun, is uh, like uh, remembering uh, all those years and, um, and, and walking through all those years. Uh, as the 2006 and 2000, sorry, 2007 and 8 crisis came along, uh, the Southeast Asian countries were found to be resilient uh, because I think a lot of the discipline that about uh, were already in place. And to hear you say it, um, we're actually looking at, at the people in whom, uh, people like yourself, the leaders in whom uh, this discipline has been instilled. And uh, it also explains a little bit why uh, you would be cautious about the innovations that uh, are being thrown at the industry today. In fact, uh, let's just keep um, you know, going to the different people who have had different experiences. Uh, Norman Chan, uh, you know, the, who was chief executive of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority uh, during an amazing period, uh, you know, linking into the Chinese economy uh, and still uh, maintaining its global um, you know, um, um, res resilience as a financial center. Um, give us a sense of uh, what were you dealing with, Norman, and, uh, and, you know, and the satisfaction of your own career. What, how would you describe your own achievements? I do think there is only one mission that we central bankers supervisors must achieve. That is to ensure we have financial stability. And that is something that all of us must work very hard to achieve. And uh, when I took over as chief executive in 2009, there was stress after the global financial crisis. We were recuperating. There are lots of uh, uh, concerns about whether this banking and financial crisis would recur anytime soon. So I think uh, the international uh, collaboration under G20 Financial Stability Board have done a lot to um, strengthen the banking system, reduce uh, the vulnerabilities. For Hong Kong specifically, uh, we face a different set of uh, problems because uh, by and large, the Hong Kong financial system was uh, unscathed. Uh, luckily, during the financial crisis, of course, we were hit and uh, impacted. Uh, there was a huge amount of liquidity uh, flushing around, searching for yields. And uh, understandably, the Hong Kong real estate market became very, uh, very hot. And uh, at least I foresaw uh, that would become a source of vulnerability for the Hong Kong banking system. Because we have a very accelerated uh, boom and bust cycle back in the 90s, leading to the uh, Asian financial crisis. So I was quite determined from the very beginning that we must do everything we could to prevent another leverage or credit-fueled 
property bubble from recurring again in Hong Kong. So uh, during my term, 10-year term, I've introduced uh, several rounds of uh, macro uh, prudential measures, well, meaning to tighten the supply of credit by the banks to the real estate sector so that the banking system, at least uh, in terms of the uh, equity portion or the down payment that buyers must uh, come up with, has gone up to almost 50%. That means in theory, if the property uh, market should collapse, then at least the banks would not be hurt that much as they did in 1997. Uh, I think, uh, looking back, I think this is a really uh, uh, important measure because uh, Hong Kong's gone through a very difficult period in the last two years. We have our own social uh, political issues and we were like everybody else, affected by the pandemic. Uh, and the economy was badly hit last year, but our banking system, our financial system remained uh, pretty resilient and robust so far. So I would, I think, highlight this particular point for others' um, reference. Thank you so much, Norman. In fact, uh, again, uh, as a central banker, as well as a, you know, a regulator, uh, you had the um, you know, the very grace, grave responsibility of balancing uh, macroprudential as well as uh, the, 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 the direction of the economy, uh, you know, and uh, I'm sure that central bankers have this uh, huge responsibility of ensuring a more equitable society, uh, ownership uh, of um, property, um, as well as uh, affordability of property, as well as uh, inflation and, um, uh, you know, the employment situation in, in Hong Kong um, and the profile of the employment, um, you know, uh, market in Hong Kong and so on. Um, a lot for you to do. And uh, uh, I think that the HKMA uh, is an institution uh, that is regarded with distinction worldwide uh, and, um, and uh, under the leadership that you provided uh, and the team that you have, uh, an amazing uh, group of in dedicated individuals um, you know, dealing with a whole range of issues. Um, so, congratulations uh, for you know for all that you've achieved in your in your career. Um, let's ask uh, uh, Kunsum, uh, National Bank of Cambodia. In fact, um, Cambodia is very interesting because uh, it's like the frontier of innovation uh, in Southeast Asia, uh, as well as uh, in emerging markets as a whole. Uh, give us a sense of uh, what uh, the National Bank of Cambodia is working on, um, and um, uh, you know, and and how are you embracing innovations that are going to make a big difference to a country like uh, Cambodia? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It is my great pleasure to participate in the leadership dialogue. And let me share my view on the impact of the COVID-19 on Cambodia economy and the central bank measures to respond to it. Cambodia economy has been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic since 2020, especially on the key pillar of economic growth, namely tourism, garment, and construction sector. This unprecedented shock contracted economic growth by minus 3.1% in 2020, after two decades of high growth, around 8% per annum. During the first half of 2021, as the pandemic unfolded and there was a community outbreak in Cambodia and the region, economic activities have continued to suffer and the continued economic slowdown has put pressure on the exchange rate and also the banking sector. Our exchange rate has experienced the depreciating trend and we have intervened in the foreign exchange market to stabilize the rate. The stability of the exchange rate has contributed to price stability in our context of high dollarization. As for the banking sector, the drop in income of population has affected their repayment capacity. In this regard, the central bank has allowed banks and microfinance institutions to restructure loan for individual and viable firms 
who are subjected to short-term liquidity constraint in order to lessen their burden. At the same time, NBC has cautiously eased monetary condition to provide additional liquidity to bank and financial institution so that they can maintain the credit flow in supporting economic activities and to better manage liquidity risks. The loan restructuring program has been ongoing smoothly and is done to avoid a cliff effect in non-performing loan. In addition, our payment system has been modernized to improve the efficiency of payment transaction. It is actively facilitated businesses, promote financial inclusion, and also prevented the spread of COVID-19 by allowing virtual transaction. For the second half of 2021, we expect that the economy would gradually recover given the paths of the economic, global economic growth and rapid administration of vaccine for the Cambodian people. Cambodia has already administered at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine to over 6.4 million residents, equivalent to more than 60% of Cambodian adult population, and more than 4.3 million have already been fully vaccinated. At the same time, children and adolescents from age 12 to 17 years old will sooner receive vaccine as well. This provides us with optimism in turning the economic growth positive in 2021. Despite this positive expectation, uncertainties remain uh, high given the ongoing outbreak of the COVID-19 in the region and around the globe. The National Bank of Cambodia remain vigilant and stand ready to implement supportive measures to economic recovery. Meanwhile, we will also keep on improving our banking supervision toward risk-based and forward-looking that will help to further strengthen the resilience of the banking system. Thank you, uh, Mr. Sum. Uh, what you've said is very interesting and I think reinforces uh, that the job of the financial sector is firstly not even innovation resilience. Uh, because even as innovation is underway around the world uh, and, and a lot of changes are taking place, um, resilience uh, is what underpins the ability of any society uh, to be able to absorb uh, and benefit uh, from the innovations that are coming through. So the, uh, listening to uh, the Deputy Governor of the National Bank of Cambodia uh, underscoring resilience uh, reminds all of us uh, the, the importance and the role uh, of central banks uh, and the financial system. Uh, in fact, uh, speaking of central banks, or uh, again, uh, the largest central bank in Southeast Asia, uh, Bank Indonesia, is by um, uh, Mr. Judah Agung, who is the assistant governor and the head of the Macroprudential Policy Department. Um, give us a sense of, uh, you know, the pro of this uh, dynamics between uh, innovation, uh, resilience, uh, as you see it, and the issue uh, in Indonesia today? There are a few lessons uh, that I would like to share in this, uh, in this forum. Uh, first, you know, in the midst of current extraordinary and unprecedented time, in addition to super extra vigilance, uh, we at the central bank have to embark into unconventional, innovative, and out-of-the-box policy thinking and policy formulation. So, you know, uh, after the COVID hit the country, uh, the coordination and the policy mix, you know, among authorities and within the institution itself in the central bank, uh, you know, uh, is the key to, to be more uh, effective uh, policy uh, making. So a policy mix of monetary uh, and macroprudential policies 
as well as uh, you know uh, policy regarding the digital economy uh, have been uh, a key success factor in maintaining stability uh, and at the same time to boost the recovery of the economy so in in this regard the strong and dec dec decisive leadership is definitely required and the ability to effectively coordinate with other government agencies and private sector as well as uh, inter international uh, partner is also uh, very important. Second, I would like to highlight the importance of uh, strengthening policy synergy between domestic authorities to enable effective implementation of support measures. In Indonesia, uh, establishment of financial system stability committee uh, allows for the policy synergy to be conducted in the swift and timely manners. Third, the vital importance of uh, global coordination and uh, global cooperation, uh, including participation in the regional and international forums, enhancing information sharing arrangement, as well as strengthening financial safety nets through regional and bilateral swap arrangement is also uh, uh, quite, quite uh, important. Uh, regal regulatory cooperation will remain uh, critical to address global challenges posed by ongoing digitalization of finance, climate risk, cyber risk, and operational uh, resilience. So last but not least, uh, we are only as strong as the weakest link. The effectiveness of vaccine rollout and resolute health measures will continue to play a key important role and prerequisite condition for sustained economic recovery. Uncertainties are right and a prolonged resurgence of the virus may raise that level and limit policy space. Thus, we need to remain vigilant toward a new source of vulnerabilities and be agile in adopting innovative policy instruments to address structural economic challenges and development in the new financial system landscape. Your comment is uh, amazing because good as our weakest link to remember uh, the journey that Indonesia many, many years uh, to build uh, these linkages domestic uh, as well as globally, that today Indonesia is an amazing economy. Mr. Nian Hung, the CEO of Tang, uh, uh, whom this year uh, we've, uh, um, we've, uh, we've recognized as a leader among CEOs of all the CEOs in the Asia-Pacific region, uh, we chose Mr. Nguyen Yes. So give us some challenges you face uh, at the ground level, uh, institution yourself, um, and, and uh, TP Bank. Hey, thank you, uh, Chairman. And uh, I, uh, I'm very honored to be here with the Bank yeah, my experience uh, to turn uh, a small bank, uh, a traditional bank, into a digital bank in Vietnam. You know that the uh, last year, even uh, COVID-19 pandemic, the banking industry in Vietnam is, uh, I think that the, uh, that is the first full years for banking industry here. And the first half of uh, 2021, uh, the banking industry profits uh, increased around 40 or 50 percent. Now in Vietnam, that the uh, you know um, um, digital transformation uh, is a hot trend uh, in the banking industry. So we are very proud that we are leading bank in in in, in terms of uh, transform transform digital transformation. And uh, as my experience, uh, we uh, begin this process uh, very early, at least uh, five years ago. And uh, we invest a lot of money for the digital and uh, mobile uh, solution for our customer. And not only 
for uh, product and service to our customer, even that uh, in or for the uh, um, internal processes, we try to transform all our processes uh, into uh, in, in, in a digital way. Um, and we try to uh, reform or breakthrough um, innovation for uh, our internal processes. We try uh, to uh, uh, we try to use and apply uh, from small use cases or a mini project and a small project to apply new technology like uh, um, even big data, AI, machine learning, or even um, blockchain into our small project. And uh, for, for example, uh, for um, blockchain, we try to uh, um, have a contract with other institutions in Japan and Korea to make uh, transfer money from uh, overseas to for, for Vietnamese in Vietnam. Use the blockchain technology. So, so now we, uh, the first bank here use a new uh, this new technology for money transfer and and. Uh, uh, foreign currency uh, remit in in uh, Vietnam markets, and um, of course uh, we we are very proud that we have uh, only kiosk automates banking in Vietnam with uh, nearly four hundred uh, kiosks uh, throughout Vietnam. It's allow our customer can do transaction with us twenty four hour per day. Uh, uh, and, and, and seven days per week that allow customer can do everything uh, with the bank like uh, traditional counter. And now uh, nearly 92% of all transactions of the bank is uh, uh, done by uh, via digital channels. And of course, that we have some challenge with the digital transformation journey because you know that the legal frame of the government is so narrow and it's you know outdated, and we have to arrange to survive with the current legislation. And of course, uh, you know, the uh, lack of uh, IT human resource in Vietnam, because now not only the uh, banking industry, even that other industry need a huge of IT human resource. And of course, that we have to pay more for, uh, to recruit the, uh, the talent for the new technology. And we hope that the in next view, here we turn our bank into fully, nearly fully digital. Uh, and uh, we hope that almost of our process will be uh, paperless and uh, on digital uh, way and fully online. Uh, and the customer can do everything, all the banking channels with us uh, uh, on, uh, online and via digital channel. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Nguyen, because uh, you just brought up something. We are all only as good as our people. Uh, you know, that's our weakest link, regardless of how large an organization or how small, whether you're a central bank, a bank, uh, a fintech company, uh, or a challenger bank, anything at all, or uh, an institution like the Asian banker, uh, we are all only as good as our people. Uh, and, and I think that that's the one area where leadership is most needed. Now, let's ask a last comment, but this one uh, from someone who is, whose business is going to threaten uh, traditional banks is what I meant by the fact that we're called the Asian banker, but we're no longer banker anymore because when we think about leadership in finance, we're actually also talking about the institutions that are going to uh, disrupt uh, the traditional players. So uh, 
uh, Nikhilesh uh, Gol, uh, the co-founder of Validus Capital, uh, whose business it is to um, man, uh, you know, funders to borrowers on the SME uh, of the equation. Um, how's business been for you? Uh, are you disrupting the banks? Uh, and uh, and how hard is life for you as a leader? Uh, I think as a startup, life is always hard, uh, Manuel. But uh, you know, we cannot complain. I think COVID has hit everybody hard. Uh, you know, we we were very cautious at the beginning, but we have actually used it as an opportunity to grow. We are very proud that uh, you know our, our business across countries has grown anywhere from 100 to 400 percent during the COVID period. Uh, you know, we see ourselves as uh, you know challengers who are operating in in white spaces left aside by banks. You know, when we look at SMEs and their financing needs, we see that traditionally, you know, SMEs have always been part of either the retail or the corporate banking structure within large banks. And therefore, somewhere their needs have not always been serviced. So I think our only goal is to go in, um, find out whether, you know, it is the unbanked SME or the underbanked SME. What are their needs in terms of their working capital requirements? How best can we service them? Uh, you know, using non-traditional data, uh, using technology, whether it is artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, of course, everything being by, a, you know, by, by way of doing it through a digital platform and then connecting them to various funding sources. Wonderful. Uh, that's, uh, you know, you, you're, you're, you're attacking, you call white space areas, which uh, traditional institutions either haven't reached out to or to whom it's maybe you know, the cost effectiveness. There's a whole range of conversations that we can have around what you do. You know, would you call yourself a peer-to-peer -peer lender or a peer-to-SME lender? Or, I mean, you know, are you in that in that space or how would you, um, you know, categorize uh, what you do? The P2P space started off as taking monies from many and giving it to many. And that was what the model was 20 years ago. Um, I think now the term that, that is in vogue is marketplace lending. So we operate a, operate a marketplace where there are lots of small and medium enterprises and their borrowing needs. Um, we source them, do the credit evaluation, package the loan, and then have funders fund them, um, which are primarily institutions. There are, it could be banks, family offices, hedge funds, or even high net worth individuals. So yes, you can call it a marketplace or it can be I2B if we have to coin new terms every day. Wonderful. I had warned the in industry that the day is coming uh, when we will be including people like yourselves uh, into the profile of the financial services industry as an equal player. And I guess the day has come. Uh, so thank you all for your comments. Maybe I should uh, ask uh, my erstwhile colleague, uh, Gordian, to sum up this uh, conversation that we've been able to have. Thank you very much. Um, um, I, I agree. I think we, we have seen uh, on this stage alone sort of the future of the financial services industry. On the one hand, we have the, the central banks, which by definition uh, have to create stability, but need to keep pace with the developments of the markets. But they themselves are limited in true innovation that is disruptive uh, to the business processes. And on the other hand, we have entrepreneurs and businesses, fintechs, they call them, but in fact, they are financial institutions in their own right, which actually, as the last uh, colleague said, occupy wide spaces. But in occupying wide spaces, they provide some disciplinary measures to the banks. And they show the banks that uh, not all that has been done in banks is actually all inclusive or relevant in the financial system. And I think that, as the last colleague mentioned, banks are very are well managed. They tend to be well led uh, in many cases. They have realized that it is better to align themselves with the disruptors than it is to actually compete with the disruptors. And I think what struck me in this discussion is that the future is very much that the financial, the traditional financial institutions will become bigger and by definition more stable. They will align themselves with disruptors 
which will tend to come from different parts of the financial system. And the regulator will provide the overview and make sure that these challenges between disruptors and the stability providers actually creates progress. And as I said, all progress is created by disruption and is created by smaller teams of people who have to persevere and endure. And to me, this dialogue has shown very clearly that we are moving in the direction of aligning continuous disruption with the great stability of the banking system. At the same time, we have three participants who actually are not phased at all about that. They are marching in a direction to either occupy white spaces or improve the services and the technology that comes to the customer. And for them, I think it's all about customers and it's all about convenience. And I think that is actually these two tracks, when they merge, they will shape the future of the banking system under the supervision of the central banks. And for the central banks, the challenge is to keep up with the developments. But uh, given the quality of the central banks, I have no doubt that they will be able to do that. So I think in a small discussion forum, we have actually seen the tracks of the future of the financial services system, which, as you said, Emmanuel, doesn't always include banks. It may include non-banks financial players. It may include technology companies. It may include other players, but they will all become one part of a new financial system that will hopefully be more inclusive and cover more of the white spaces. Because in my view, just as a last point, the future challenge of the financial system is to become more inclusive. More inclusive in terms of customers and more inclusive in terms of the needs of the world. That means financing the things that help us, financing the repletion of our resources, financing the combat we have against the changes in the climate and actually becoming a much more integrated part as opposed to chasing uh, the top end and most profitable segments uh, of the market. And I think the disruptors and the innovators and the banks together, they will achieve that. Some years to go, but I think uh, we have uh, an interesting perspective that uh, just the people on the, on the podium here actually are the future of the financial system. Well said. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.